Good evening. How are you doing tonight? Fabulous. Part three, are you ready? Whose we are is the first thing that we looked at as we were going through Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, our identity is with Christ. And then two weeks ago, we got into the second part of the passage here, starting in verse 5. First, we looked at the first four verses speaking to our identity in Christ and the viewpoint with which we should be looking at this life with the viewpoint of eternity. Our axiom for alive youth ministries, always living in view of eternity. And so we as believers in Christ should be doing that. Verses 5 through 11, uh, we started looking at uh, the dirt, the sin, the bad stuff. And putting on and taking off clothing is the picture that Paul paints for us here as he's talking about the aspect of our life that we need to get rid of, we need to put off, we need to take off. Uh, along with our old nature is the practices of that sin nature, which is something that all of us are still very familiar with. That means we all still choose to sin. And that is what we are also to be putting off because the old man, the old nature is gone. And as believers, we need to put away that old nature as well as the practices of that. Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian believers and they have gotten to a point in their, their church, their life and living a life void of Christ as center focus. They're not living with Christ as the center focus in their life anymore. They have substituted Christ with other things, placed something other than Christ as focal points and worshiping something more than Christ. So as he's going through his letter in chapter 1, he reestablishes the focus of our lives. That In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, that Christ is to be preeminent or take first place in our life. So we are out with the old, and this week we're going to talk about being in with the new. We went through some various lists two weeks ago of some of those old practices that uh, the Colossian church needed to put away with, or using more drastic language, he says, put to death, therefore. These are things that are so wrong and need to be void in our life that they're actually dead. How many of you have pets or have had pets in your life? And how many of you, you've had pets that have died? How many of you, those pets have come back to life? They're, they're gone. They're dead. They don't come back. And so should be our old nature and the practices of sin in our life that we put those to death never to rise again. Okay? If Muffy rose again and started walking through your kitchen, you might be put to death, right? So we need to be very focused on the fact that it is the strong language that it's to be put to death and get rid of it. Today, starting in verse 12, we're going to look at in with the new. Naturally, when you take the clothes off that you're wearing now to go to bed, you're going to put on something else, right? Your jammies, all right? You're going to put the jammies on to go to bed. And then in the morning, you're going to get up, you're going to take off the jammies, and you're going to put on your day clothes. I would love to hear t testimony from those of you that go to work tomorrow in your jammies. That would be interesting. But you don't do that. You put off the sleeping clothes and put on the day clothes. So as believers in Jesus Christ, having put off, put away, taken off the old self, we have to put something else on in its place. So our identity, we talked about, informs our behavior. When you know who you are, you know what to do. 
As a follower of Christ, we are to put off the old self, including its practices, and choose to put on the new self every morning. We need to view sexual desires the way God created them, not in the perversion of this world. The first list Paul talked about there, starting in verse 5, to put those things to death. We also need to view our relationships with other believers the way in which God intended for them to be. His second list was in our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. How are we not to be treating each other? Going on, we need to recognize that this life is not about or for us, but rather it is about and for Christ. He is and should be the object of our worship, not self. So the idea of taking off the old, the dirty, and putting on the new and the clean. Now, I'm going to be a daddy soon. You a daddy back there with a pretty little girl, right? See, you, you get this, you understand this, and I am going to understand this ever so more clear shortly. But when that beautiful little girl of yours, how do I put this delicately, messes her diaper, sometimes it gets on the clothes or the onesie, right? You've experienced this, I'm sure. And so what do you mom or dad do when it's time to change? Do you change the diaper, put on a clean diaper? Yeah, and then you put on the onesie she had on, back on, right? No, you're like, why are you asking me this? Duh, that's a no. I'm not putting a poopy onesie back on my kid, right? You put on a clean onesie and a clean diaper. Moms, dads, is this what you do? Is this your common practice? You don't want to put on a dirty onesie because it's gross, it's disgusting, it'll smell. All too often, we live our life wearing a poopy onesie. I'm serious, because we choose to sin. We've put off that old nature, and then what we put back on ourselves is that dirty onesie. That's just gross and wrong. And and you get it with that illustration, but then we turn around and go put that back on in our own life. And I'm here to say we need to quit it. We need to quit it. Instead of putting on that dirty onesie, what shall we put on? Verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So he says here, you chosen ones. It's it's by God we've been adopted into a new family and received that identity. We are no longer the fallen. We are no longer slaves to our sin. We are now joint heirs with Jesus, children of God. That's a pretty high standing for us to now have. It goes on to say that we are holy. As chosen ones, you are holy. We are special or sacred, extraordinary. A common phrase that we use in church is holy is set apart. We're set apart by God. Kind of like holidays. Holidays, holy days. These are, these are days that are set apart for something. This last Saturday was St. Patrick's Day. So that was set apart to wear green. Okay, so put that aside. We have a more important day in front of us that has been set apart. We have Good Friday followed by Easter. Those are days that have been set apart for a specific reason, specific purpose. It's not like any other day. Now we can remember Easter. We can remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross every day, and we should. But here is a specific day on our calendar that has been set apart for something special. I think about a wedding day for the bride especially, but also the groom. This is a day that's set apart for something special. What is that? A wedding. Joining two lives together to become one. Think back to y'all's weddings. If you, if you are married and had a wedding, I think back to mine and, and all that went into that. It was a special day. Nothing could ruin that day for us, or maybe everything that was said could potentially ruin the day, but truthfully, nothing ruined that day for us. We look back on that day and we remember it as something special and set apart. 
Likewise, you and I, as believers of Christ, are set apart for God and for His purposes. Think back to Ephesians chapter 2. We're very familiar with verses 8 and 9, but I really love verse 10 that continues on. says, for we are His what? We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Okay, we have been set apart for good works that He has prepared in advance for us. We are set apart for something special, something important that God has planned. It goes on in verse 12 to say that not only are we holy, but we are beloved. God has great affection and devotion toward you and toward me. Now, when I speak with teenagers, the teen girls usually understand to some degree what the word beloved means. The guys are just like, ew or they don't quite grasp this term beloved, but for those that are, are married, sure, uh, I'm sure that you understand that term beloved because you'll look at your spouse right now and think, there's my beloved. Your, your wife, the one that you have great affection and devotion for. For children, it's, it's this idea of having your father, your daddy, tell you how much he loves you. How much greater is that of our Heavenly Father telling us how much he loves you. Us. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, this is what we are to adorn ourselves with or put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the character of Christ here for us. The character that we now have access to through the power of the Holy Spirit who resides within every believer. We need to adorn ourselves with this character each and every single day. Just like you make sure that you have clean socks, clean undershirt, clean pants every morning when you get up, you make sure you have all these on. Otherwise, embarrassment awaits you on the other side of the door. You make sure every morning to put your clothes on properly. How much attention do we give, do I give, when I wake up, put on my clothes, but then put on these things? number of weeks or months ago, we talked about putting on the full armor of God as well. These are things that are crucial to every believer as we go out into this corrupt world. We need these things. We need these qualities. goes on to talk about compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. This is one that is considerate of other people. You consider others more significant than yourself. Others' needs take precedent over yours. What comes out of your life reveals your heart and the real you. What comes out of your life, the things that you say, your actions. You've heard actions speak louder than words, but words are pretty powerful too. And the things that come out of us via our, our language, our words, and our actions, they speak to the heart. You've probably heard the phrase, what's at the heart of it all? Or let's really get to the heart of the matter. You've heard that term. What does it mean? We're talking about getting to the, the, the motivation, the true meaning of what's going on or what's being said. We need to have a compassionate heart, become very genuine and sincere individuals down to the core of ourself. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. This is the compassionate heart coming out more in action. This is goodness of heart towards other people. Understanding that there are other people that this world does not revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. I think of the, the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, the story of the Good Samaritan and how this individual was near death, Scripture says, laying there on the side of the road, and a priest comes by and sees him there and doesn't help him. 
Then another guy comes by, doesn't help him. Then the Samaritan comes by and he exercises true kindness to this individual. How many times do I walk by a situation that I might be able to have an influence, a positive impact on, but I don't have the time. I'm supposed to meet Julie for lunch and uh, sorry. Okay, being on time for lunch with my wife, that's important, y'all. Okay, but if that supersedes an opportunity God has given for us to show that we are Christians by our love, I think Julie understands if I'm late because I was helping. Thirdly, it says humility, put on humility. This is one that we as followers of Christ need to strive more and more to acquire. It's modest self-appraisal in relation to our neighbor, or in this case, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is writing this letter, as I said, to the believers at the church in Colossae. This one commentator puts it this way, we need to know our place and accept it. Know our place and accept it. We are under God. You want illustration of humility? You don't have to look much further than Philippians chapter 2, okay? Because this is God, Jesus, coming down to this earth, showing us what true humility really looks like. Verse 3 in Philippians chapter 2 tells us that we need to consider others more significant than ourselves. We need to show humility and acquire this quality that God possesses that we can have through the Holy Spirit and make that a part of our life. We need to also put on meekness every morning. This isn't a weakness. You may have heard meekness is weakness. If you haven't heard it, now you heard it. It rhymes. It's catchy, okay? But don't confuse meekness as weakness. Don't confuse meekness as weakness or, or spinelessness, not having a spine. This is submissiveness under provocation. Somebody who is very tough, but very tender. This is strength under control. It's knowing when to be tough and when to be tender. I think of soldiers. Our military, we train some of, of the best warriors around, and we send them out to fight and to, to do battle and to protect us from our enemies. And, and it can get pretty gruesome. It can get pretty violent. And these men and women are trained to be bosses out there and to do what is necessary to protect us and our freedom. But these same warriors that we send out, you've seen videos online, I'm sure, when they come back home and they surprise their, their children at school or somewhere else. And every time I watch these, I start bawling like a baby myself because they've been away from their family or, or even more to the point, the, the man, it can't be the woman, the man who comes back and sees his newborn baby for the first time. And this warrior, this guy that goes out and wages war, is now just a bowl of goo holding his little baby, right? That's the picture here of true meekness. Here is a, an individual that is trained and can be tough and mean and, and everything that he needs to be in the right moments, but has control over that. And when it comes time to be tender, can be tender. We need that as believers. We need to be able to, to face sin head on with the armor of God on ourselves and face that with the same kind of determination that soldiers will to hold the line. We need to face sin the very same way. But then when we face somebody that is bruised and beaten on the side of the road, have the meekness to be able to turn off Rambo and turn on the meek and tender Christian that we are called to be. goes on to say that we need to put on patience. 
I like to encourage everybody to underline, circle, box in, put flashing lights on this one in their Bible, because this is one that all of us could use an extra helping of. Because we struggle with patience a lot. I know I do. I'm not the most patient person in the world. And if anybody's going to amen in here, it's her. She'll know. I'm not the most patient individual in the world. But God tells us that we need to put on patience. It means to be long-suffering. It means to have a long fuse. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter, that we need to be patient. Love is patient. I think that's the first actually thing that it says in there is love is first patient then kind it's patient first i believe god does things on purpose i'm pretty confident that he listed patience first on purpose it's something that we all need we see this also illustrated in psalm chapter 37 where it talks about waiting patiently before the lord be still and wait patiently before god Too many times we live our life like a microwave society where we stand in front of the microwave as it's cooking dinner and we tell our microwave to hurry up. Back in the day, they had to go cut the tree down, put the wood on the fire, light the fire, kill the animal, skin the animal, fillet the animal, whatever, put it on the fire. You're waiting a while to get dinner, all right? And then we started to advance in our technologies. We eventually got... uh, crock pots and ovens and things that instead of taking two days to make dinner now it only takes two hours then we got our microwaves and now it takes two minutes and better yet we have fast food so why even bother at home we can just do a drive-through right and even there how many of you be honest have been really cranky with how slow it is we're impatient people we need to be asking god for patience every morning verse 13 says that we as brothers and sisters in christ in this church We need to bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, we need to attack and destroy that person. Right? Oh, sorry, I was reading from the wrong Bible. This is the Bible of what actually happens many times. We need to actually read from the Bible what we should be doing. This is what we're supposed to be like. This is what we should be striving for. And I'm not perfect. I struggle with this sometimes too. Something happens against me, reactions, right? And and we need to work against those things. We need to bear with one another. And when a complaint is registered against you, you need to be quick to forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Bearing with one another. This is something we do, again, in love. We endure in all circumstances. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Your brother, your sister offends you in some way? Forgive. In love. Endure this. It says, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. It reminds me of a passage in Ephesians 4.32. Tells us to be kind one to another, tender-hearted. What? Forgiving one another. Because it's the example of Christ. Christ forgave us. Matthew chapter 18. Starting verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Answer? How does he respond? Seventy times seven. Right? And I can see him getting his cell phone out, going to the calculator app to do the math, right? 
the point is that it's such a, an outrageous kind of number that we can't keep track. So why bother? Always forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on what? Love. We're given a list of things that we need to put on, and above all of those things that are important and we need to put on, we need to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Rattle off a few verses for you. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. We've put off the flesh, the old self its passions and its desires. This list of the fruit of the Spirit leads off with love. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you that you what? Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Sound familiar? If you're here this morning, this should sound familiar. We had a little point about this, I believe. Brotherly love. Those are just a few verses in Scripture that talk about love. There are many, many more, and we would be here far beyond 7 o'clock if we continued to go into them. I'll give you a picture, an illustration of what this is. You've driven cars. You know that in the car there is an engine. This engine allows the car to, to go. And there's a very important piece to the engine, something that you have to pour into it to keep it running smoothly. Oil. Oil keeps the engine moving, right? And, and, and this is the, the picture that oftentimes uh, television will show when the wife just says, or the husband says, honey, how long's that light been on there on the dash? And she's like, oh, I don't know, for a couple weeks, right? And the guy's like frustrated beyond belief because he understands that void of oil, the engine will seize up. At least in the, the show I'm thinking of, the wife says, well, I thought if it was really important, the light would get brighter or there'd be a buzzer, right? No, there's a light. Okay, just the fact that the light's on. Okay, wives, if nothing else, remember that tonight, all right? If you see the light, tell your husband. Just as oil is the lubricant for the engine that keeps it going, love is the lubricant that helps the other virtues to run smoothly. Love helps the other's virtues here to run smoothly. Chapter 13 gives a whole slew of things that you can do which are great, wonderful things, but if it lacks one thing, they're worthless. What's that one thing? Love. You have faith to move mountains, but you lack love. It means nothing. You can be the most benevolent person in the world, but if you lack love, it's nothing to God. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. This is the condition of rest and contentment that we find and can only find in Christ, our hope and our Redeemer. It's the conviction and knowledge that our sins have been forgiven and that we are no longer slaves to them. Does that provide you with a measure of contentment, folks, to know that you have been saved from your sin? You've been saved from the penalty of sin? That's something to put your heart at peace. Philippians 4, 7. Start in verse 4. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, 
Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, that puts me at ease. Hopefully it puts you at ease. Next time that you start getting stressed out and cranky about something, remember that Jesus has saved you from your sin. That you are not destined for hell when this life is over. And don't miss the part where it says, and be thankful. Right? We can take for granted way too easily, especially if you've been raised in church and this is just life. We can forget and miss that part about being thankful for what we have, what God has given to us. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I found this story I'd like to read to you here that helps to illustrate this point goes like this. An important man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman. Suddenly, the light turned yellow just in front of him. He did the right thing and stopped, even though he could have beaten the red light. The tailgating woman hit the roof and the horn, screaming obscenities because she missed her chance to get through the intersection. Then she heard a little tap, tap, tap on her window. She looked into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her out of her car with her hands up. He took her into the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, and placed in a cell. After a couple of hours, another policeman opened the cell door and escorted her back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. I'm very sorry for the mistake, he said. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, making obscene gestures, and cussing a blue streak. I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker, and the chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk. Naturally, I assumed you stole the car. So think about that. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. Are you letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly? Does that look like dwelling in you richly? I don't think so. Those are some of those things we talked about last time that we're needing to put to death, the anger, the malice, the, all those things. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What was she teaching and admonishing? Certainly nothing out of wisdom. Our life, not our bumper sticker, is the real testimony of what we believe. We are saved by faith and not by works. Amen? But our actions, they're important. They should demonstrate our faith. We are to let the words of Christ govern or dictate our thoughts, our speech, our actions, our very lives. As we do, it's seen by others and can teach and encourage other people. Or, by the way of a poor testimony... We can push folks further away and create a false picture of a life-saving faith in Jesus Christ, i.e. this cranky lady trying to get through the light. What is she teaching? She was misunderstood for somebody that stole a car of a Christian. 
goes on to say, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Corporate worship here has a teaching function through the lyrics of the songs we sing. I'm grateful for our church, for Pastor Mark, who puts together our song services every Sunday. And as he's looking through the music, he doesn't just flip through a hymnal and grab a song here and there. It's in our hymnal, so it must be good. We've actually found some songs that we don't sing in our hymnal because they're not theologically right on. But he pays attention to the words that are there. So there's the hymns that we're familiar with, but other spiritual songs. He does a great job of picking other songs that aren't in our hymnal, that have beautiful gospel messages and are theologically correct for us to sing. And we learn more about God through singing these songs with those lyrics. Music is an important part to our culture and to our lives. When you hear people do special music and they're done, and it's really touched your heart because you're listening to the words that are being sung. Verse 17, whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, Him being Jesus. If you are a true and authentic follower of Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father, He should be and is your source and motivation of truth and life right now. Your motivation for living is Christ. The source of your life and your living is Christ. Let us be very careful that we don't swap Him out for something else. And remember, Give thanks. Give thanks to God, the Father, through Jesus. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for giving us life. We thank you for giving your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. We thank you for illuminating our minds, our hearts, our souls to that truth. We thank you for giving us the ability to accept you as our Savior. We thank you for what you are saving us from. Above all of this, we thank you for loving us. Romans 5 eight, God, we thank you for loving us in the midst of our dirtiness. God, as we consider what Paul has to say in Colossians chapter 3, help us to evaluate our lives and first and foremost recognize if we are even one of your children. God, help us to recognize that fact and to live our life with that identity in mind. God, as a result of that new life, help us each and every day to put off the old self and put off the old practices and way of living and rather put on the virtues that you have displayed to us through your Son, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who resides in us giving us the power, because apart from that, we, we can't. It's because of His work in us that we have access to those qualities. Help us to put those on every single day. Help us to choose that every day. To recognize that we need to put off these other things, put on these new things, because people see us. With our very words, our very actions, we teach and admonish something. Let it be you. And God, let us recognize that these are things that have been given and done to us and for us when we don't deserve it. God, help us to recognize these facts. Help us to give thanks to you with a grateful heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen.